Welcome to Sports BKC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Friday, March 20th. I'm Blair Kirkhoff, and we have a long episode today, but I think you'll enjoy it. Kevin Harlan called his first NCAA tournament game right after leaving college in the early 1980s and is a fixture on March Madness broadcasts. Like just about everyone else who loves the tournament, Kevin found himself at home this week and not at a first and second round site because of the COVID-19 coronavirus. But it gave us the opportunity to catch up with Kevin for this podcast in a column you'll find on KansasCity.com today and in Sunday's print editions of The Star by Vahe Gregorian. Kevin was gracious enough with his time and we covered many topics from the NCAA tournament to his start in the business on how he manages his travel. You know he calls the NFL and NBA in addition to college basketball. And we finished by talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and what championships mean to our region. Vahe and I teamed up for this conversation with Kevin, who was at his home in Kansas City Thursday. We hope you enjoy. Hey, um, so where were you going to be today? Uh, you know, they had not told us. They only uh, let us know on Sunday night at the end of Selection Sunday, about two or three hours after that. And so um, that's, you know, a year ago at this time I was in Des Moines, and that was so fun. It's so many great teams up there, but but uh, yeah, they usually just tell us on Sunday night where we're going to go. Okay, but you knew who you're going to work with, right? The pairings had been announced. Yeah, yeah, they keep us all kind of together. We had we had Dana Jacobson on our sideline again from the kind of split her between news and sports, and Dan Bonner was doing I think his 38th consecutive tournament, 40th overall, and that. Is about as long as anybody. I think I think it ties Bill Raftery, and then um, and then Reggie Miller was gonna was gonna also be on our crew, obviously. Kevin, one of the things that that uh, is sort of front and center, of course, is just picturing like how this unfurled for you. I, and we we got a chance to see Peter King's uh, sort of play by play on you, but. I, I, how, how? What was that like? As as uh, one of the busiest people we know saw this kind of come screeching to a halt. Well, you know, with Peter, it was kind of interesting because um, I just finished taping a documentary for the Green Bay Packers, a ten-part documentary on their one hundred-year history, and the Packers had asked me um, what three people. I would like to have a copy with uh, screaming instructions sent to, you know, have them have them get a copy of this, people in, in the NFL. And, and the first person I thought of was Peter King, and the second was Bill Belichick, because he loves NFL history. He just loves talking about old players, coaches, stadiums, teams, and the, and the third was Craig Cosell, at NFL Films, so those are my three guys. And I, as I was, as I was changing planes in Chicago last Wednesday, I was texting Peter, "Hey, could you give me your address?" And um, and then that's how it, this kind of got started. And that's how he knew I was going through this. But I was supposed to be in Milwaukee uh, last Wednesday night uh, on uh, for the Thursday TNT broadcast for the. Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks and found out as I was getting on my connecting flight at O'Hare on a Woj bomb uh, Woj had put out 
something on ESPN alert about the league suspending operations. And uh, so I quickly went to the board and saw that there was uh, a flight to Kansas City and uh, raced down the corridor and concourse crossing and everything else and, and got to the plane and somehow I kind of talked my way on after some very helpful agents maneuvered things around and so and so that's when I found out that that was done and the next day of course the NCAA followed and after that it's just been this, this cavalcade of one conference tournament, one league suspending play, one big event like Kentucky Derby and, and all these other great events all, all you know, taking a hiatus and postponing things until there's more clarity. Um, I see uh, Peter used the term that when, when you saw Woj's uh, tweet, you, you semi-gasped and got out of line. And I, 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 I wonder um, <laughs> what, what the feeling was. But also, I wonder if you could have envisioned that that was sort of the tipping point for all these shutdowns. I mean, it really was the, the, the pivotal moment, it appears. I think it was when Gobert, when Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz player, had uh, had the symptoms and was now under inspection and observation and, and being given the test. I think it just showed, you know, commissioners and team presidents and owners and conference commissioners that if one person gets it, it's gonna it's gonna really affect the entire team. And if a entire team can't play, then how can you have games and how can you have tournaments and how can you carry on? So it was inevitable that that, that was probably the way it was going to the dominoes were going to kind of hit. So, um, but I, I I guess on my way to the airport, I heard that the uh, Big Twelve uh, was was finished and then earlier that week we have our NCAA meetings in New York and they had been canceled every year we all as a group from CBS and the, the Turner people on that side that are involved all get together in New York and there are hundreds of us and we get a presentation from Dan Gavitt who's the man that runs the tournament for the NCAA the president we hear from directors of officiating and and everything, tournament relations, all these people give us these presentations and and we all get together and, and have two days of discussion and and they show us uh, graphics and they, they, you know, all kinds of things are dealt with and that was canceled. So we knew that the tournament was on the ropes to begin with when, you know, they began to say, well, we're just going to play uh, with the teams and not the fans. And that almost didn't seem realistic and then sure enough everything kind of fell into place and that was a week ago or so and here we are and what would be the first day of the tournament and the three of us are not in some place around the country covering local teams or national stories and I'm sure for you guys it's it's gotta be as weird as it is for me. This, this is where every March you two and, and, and myself would, would find ourselves, you know, right in the thick of the beginning of the tournament. It, it, a word Blair and I have used, I hope I'm not speaking for Blair here, is that it's a little disorienting. I think that's one thing we're coming to terms with in a lot of ways, and certainly with the, the tournament not here, but also everything from how we interact to the fact that, you know, we're, we're 
not really able to be with you in person when we might ordinarily have. And I just, I, I guess my question there, Kevin, is kind of how, uh, how are you processing just that, the, the sense of being grounded and the sense of sort of distancing all that? What, what's, what's that been like for you, someone as busy as you? Well, we're all, the three of us are very busy, and, and, and so I, I'll be just as curious to hear your answer, but I'll start and just say that, that um, it's, like, it's like the season is ended, the tournament has come to a close, it's now in the rearview mirror, and I'm waiting for the start of the NBA playoffs. There's always that week or 10 days in between the end of the tournament and the beginning of the, of the NBA uh, postseason, and, and that's what this kind of feels like, you know, I'm, I'm out here on our porch and and the weather is nice. It's a, it's a warm day. We're, we're speaking on on Thursday, so you know it was in the 60s and 70s today, and and it's nice. And, and you know there are buds on the trees, and people are walking around, and flowers are coming up. And this always reminds me of of the end of the tournament, the beginning of the NBA playoffs, kind of that in between for me. But what about you, Blair? I mean, I mean, you've you've covered this tournament for and by by the both you guys have you covered it. As long as I have, I'm, I'm sure this is. And by the way, people need to understand that you know we're all all busy. But but tr- the truth be told, the people like like Blair and Vi that are writing columns and daily stories and reporting and uh, uh, you know uh, 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 you know giving opinions on things, the, the work that goes into those far 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 exceeds. <laughs> anything that, that, that we as broadcasters go through, I can guarantee you that. And I've told these two to their face, you know, that that a lot of the information we get is from the hard work of these reporters. So knowing how hard both of you work this time of year, I mean, you've got to be going through the same worse probably than I am because it, it, it's a 24-7 thing for you two. It is, um, and... You know, we we had a few few tricks in the bag this week, but um, I, you know, as as the days unfold, um, and, um, and and you know, we, we hear news like the MLS today saying they're it's extending its you know its uh, you know, hiatus, you know, basically taking the end date off the hiatus. Right, it went from thirty days to now no end date for for this and. You know, I know basketball and the NBA and the NHL also provided some, you know, some target dates. But who knows what's going to happen now? And, um, and, and yeah, I, I know Vahe and I and Sam Mellinger and everybody here at the Star. We've we've all thought about how this is going to impact not only our jobs but kind of the the psyche of uh, of people who. You know, who love sports, who, you know, who, who thoroughly enjoy it, who, who, who just can't wait for the NCAA tournament, the opening day in baseball, the, the NBA playoffs, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, boy, I tell you, I, I think that, again, as the, as the time passes, just I think that the, the depth of feeling that we have for the games and writing about the games for us is – you know, will just be felt in, 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 in a way that we've never understood because we've never been in this situation. I am, I'm sure that, you know, that your experience on both sides of the state and 
your love of college basketball. I mean, this is just, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine you two in particular because I still identify both of you with this time of year and, and college sports, but but being people that, you know, like readers, I think, think of reliable people to go to, and I can't think of two more reliable people that I'd want to read than you two, and just, and just, but by, I mean, it's got to be just as, as, as painful as it is for Blair. I mean, this is, this is an amazing time for us in this business. It is, it is, Kevin. I mean, it's a sort of sensory deprivation at a time where you're used to sensory overload is, is sort of the, the strangest part. And, you know, it's funny, you made me think of this. I, I, I just realized, I guess the first NCAA tournament game I ever went to in person was the 1988 national title game with uh, Oklahoma and Kansas. A friend, I was just in my first month at the Post-Dispatch, and a friend got a ticket on the day of the game and said, want to see what the Final Four is like? I'm like, yeah. So I came on over, and I guess I've been involved in the tournament somewhere or another every year since, probably uh, 25-ish Final Fours, and I realize that's like 20 fewer than Blair. <laughs> so we've, we've really uh, been at this a long time. And I, I will say this. We talked about this a little bit between ourselves earlier in the week. On Selection Sunday, I, I found myself needing to come to the paper just to, I don't know what, just to come in. I, I drove around a little while. I... I thought about, you know, why don't I go to see Naismith's grave? And, and I'm like, well, why would I do that? I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do. So it's been a little funny. <laughs> but to, to Blair's point, there really has been also, I think, right now, front-loaded, a, a, a lot of things still to think about and write about that are, that are pertinent in sports. And, you know, part of that is just how we're all processing the absence of it. And I think that's, that's a really interesting part here. You know, we sort of have talked casually among ourselves about, Oh, it hurts to not have sports, but I, I honestly worry that, that there's a looming broader mental health crisis and that, that part of that will be emanating from the, the, this void that, that, we, that we don't have things that we're so used to. I, I, I would venture to say that, you know, that, that I mean, you, know, I, you see the numbers that watch the Super Bowl, you know the people that watch the tournament, they get involved in office pools, People always talk about that that wonderful, you know, opening day baseball game that kind of brings, uh, you know, the, the, the beginning of spring and summer and nice weather. And I think if you're a hockey fan or not or an NBA fan or not, there's something very associated with the calendar and the change of seasons that we're all so used to. When it gets cold, you think, you know, uh, about, you know, okay, here's college football and and pro football, and then, and, but when you think of spring, I've always thought about playoffs and, and hockey and, and and the NBA and the beginning of baseball and the the end of the tournament or, or or some parts of the tournament, and and so this is just such an intersection of all those different avenues that it makes it painful. Now, if this is in the middle of June or July. There's only baseball really going on in golf, right? And maybe the the Olympic uh, year is upon us, but really, like this hits at, at, at the most um, catastrophic of times in terms of 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 not happening because all these things are meeting at an head. The end of the NBA season, the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the beginning of the tournament, the start of baseball, um, and and now you've got the year round 
Goliath that is the NFL with, you know, the just completed combine, the upcoming draft, getting the free agency and tagging players. I mean, it just goes on and on. And it's so funny how, how you know, when that's taken away, you try to you try to find a compass to to focus. I mean, to be quite honest, for me personally, I've I've been ramping up handling taxes and and making sure that that's all sealed up and delivered, which I'm ahead of schedule there, and finishing up expense reports that have been have been waiting to be handled and doing that and cleaning out. I've got two closets. Uh, the, the boss here at home is. Uh, our, our, our COVID nineteen uh, commandant has has told me to um, to get on, and, and so we're cleaning out closets and and uh, and the, the other nice thing is we've welcomed a lot of our most of our family back home to Kansas City. The girls and our son, they're back. They've all been uh, told to stay home, so they're all kind of being uh, with us. Has made it for a very kind of a unexpected, nice little uh, time with our family. So you know, it, it's funny when one thing closes another opens and I guess that's the most optimistic way to kind of look at, at this very different and weird time for all of us I, I Kevin I, I throw the Masters in there too as another one that we're going to miss yes and, and, yes uh, thank you talk thank about, you talk about a rite of spring but uh, hey you know um, you, you brought it up and I'm uh, among uh, us but I'm curious to know what your first NCAA tournament game was and and the first year you worked the NCAA tournament, uh, and, and maybe it's just some of your, some of the better games and characters uh, that you've called and been associated with over the years. Well, did Larry Brown's first year at Kansas, and um, and I think we were up in Lincoln or Omaha, and I think Lincoln, and that's where Kansas went, and um, that was '83, the '83 '84 season, and did that year. And um, they, I think they lost to Wake Forest and Muggsy Blokes. Someone has to check that. I, I don't know if that's correct or not, but it seems like it might have been right. And um, but that was my first. And then I did three under Norm Stewart when I was doing the Missouri Tigers. And of course, one one year he wasn't there. Rich Daly had to take over, and they had made the Sweet Sixteen. And that was a uh, that was really a, a treat. I remember doing the uh, round of 32 winning game in Dallas and Missouri was playing Texas in Reunion Arena and uh, no one had heard from Norm because he was, he had remember collapsed on the flight down to Norman, Oklahoma during that season and and um, uh, had to go to the emergency room and so Rich Daly had taken over and they, Rich Daly kind of engineered this team, kept the team together, and they made the Sweet 16, which was up in Minneapolis. But in that game down in Dallas, after the game, we got Norm on the Missouri Tiger Network on the phone, and he talked to us. I don't know if he was in his hospital bed or if he was home um, convalescing, but he came on with us, and it was one of the first times he had really talked about you know his situation and how he was doing, and publicly and that was very unique and then I remember going up the next weekend to Minneapolis uh, they lost to I think Syracuse and um, and of course this was on the heels of losing the two previous years when Norm had some good teams and lost early one year they lost to Rhode Island I think in Indianapolis and 
Then they went to Charlotte, uh, to yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. Lost the next year early on after being highly ranked and playing well. And then here, Norm wasn't there for that one season. They went to they went to um, the, the Sweet Sixteen, and, and they lost in, in, in the Sweet Sixteen to, to Syracuse. And as I recall, there was a an incredible number of free throws taken by the Orange, and not as many taken by the by the Tigers in that game. But and then and then I I went to the NBA for a couple of years, and then joined CBS in '98, and that's when I began the tournament for them. <laughs> Kevin, one thing uh, we mentioned the the word calendar came up earlier, and I'm, this is just sort of a side point, but I've always been curious. Uh, you're very kind to say Blair and I are as busy as you, but I do not know anybody who moves around more than you do. Even even when Norm was in Brewer Fieldhouse and kept moving around to avoid getting hit by pigeons, uh, he wasn't moving around as much as you do. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, do, you, do you physically, are you like a, a perhaps... Uh, two other people of the the same vintage that uh, maybe keep their calendars on their uh, paper calendar, or do you, do you have? Uh, are you all electronic these days? I'm just curious how you how you know where you're supposed to be going. Oh, I write it down. Oh no, I'm I'm uh, I'm old school. I, I do both actually, but I do one as a backup, and I do it on my phone as a backup. But I uh, every uh, November order a a um, a uh, academic calendar thing and. And it's uh, like the size of a small book. And write in all my games and, and um, on-air responsibilities in red. Write all my travel in green ink. All business-related things in black ink. And all family-related things in blue ink. I've got one of those multicolored pens that I use. And I use it when I'm uh, in my broadcast, my week of preparation. And use it on the calendar, too. And uh, so I use one of those. And it's funny you mention that uh, because uh, a couple nights ago, I started putting big X's through, you know, first and second round of the tournament, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, uh, you know, events that would that would be on my calendar. Um, the second I would get the new one in late uh, or mid-December for the upcoming year, knew the dates, wrote them in, right down the date of the Super Bowl because I'm fortunate enough to do that, and uh, championship Sunday in the NFL, and so, so it's weird to do that, and I and I do it as kind of a little bit of a of a. Uh, I don't do a diary, or I don't know if you guys do, or anything like that. But I do kind of like to have a, a, a very loose record of of what I've got to do, and what I did, and where I was, and where maybe my family was. That kind of when I write it down like that, it kind of it, it's kind of therapeutic for me too. It kind of kind of puts it down in, in writing, which I always think is a better way to remember and, and get it kind of galvanized in your mind by just typing it in and maybe even forgetting that you've done it. <laughs> I, I, I wonder how far back that goes. Does that go back to uh, to your uh, your high school days when you were on the 10-watt station? Probably does, yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I always remember going to my dad's office and he would have one of those uh, one of those monthly planners as his um, on his desk, but it was the big one that was, you know, like, like two feet by a foot or whatever, and, <laughs> and it would have blocks for every day, and I remember as a little kid going into his office at Lambeau Field and, and seeing all these things, and he was, he's a very, his penmanship was always precise and very neat, and how he had, you know, dates uh, that were important in red, and, and I remember that, and not saying that's why I I do it now in my book, but 
it just kind of becomes, I, I, I'm sure I learned a lot of things I do from him and still do, but he always wrote that out. And, and, um, and, and so I guess, yeah, probably back to those early days when I was broadcasting and thinking about what I used to do is I used to do like, like games for our high school radio station and then I would go home and, and, and my dad would listen to me and I'd, I'd get back, I'd get back home and he would have a list of, of things that he liked and, and things that maybe I should improve on. He was a journalism major at Marquette and he, he was the editor of the student, uh, newspaper and sports editor. And so he went there to get a journalism degree and, uh, you know, those early conversations with him, were just invaluable about, you know, about about who, what, when, where, how. And, I mean, all the things that great reporters like you two, you know, <clears throat> do in every story you put together. And and how you put the, put a story together, and he said, it's no different than doing something on air. But I do remember when when I, I, I was thinking about becoming an airline pilot when I was about 11 or 12, and I brought home my report card, and at that time, you know, you had to have good math grades. You had to be good in trig and math and geometry and calculus and all these, you know, advanced math things. And here I was in about sixth, seventh, eighth grade, bringing home my math score from grade school and my report card. And he would look at the grade and then look at me and then look back down at the grade and then look at me again and goes, you know, if it were up to me, I, I might think of a career in journalism. <laughs> and that's, and that's, what, that's what got me on this on this uh, on this business that we're three of us are in right now. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners: unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars' award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. One of the things you just said reminded me of uh, uh, what an eventful few months you've had. Uh, I don't know if we refer to the uh, one episode as the cat call, but uh, certainly you had the, uh, the double double action going uh, as the Chiefs were coming into the playoffs and then on into the Super Bowl. And I... I, I guess the highlight of that really is for certainly for our audience, and I, I think you enjoyed it in a certain way because of your familiarity. Just the, the, the run of the Chiefs, and that's uh, how lucky Kansas City is that that's its last uh, prominent sports memory right now. That that's, if nothing else, that there's that for local people to hold on to and, and clutch dearly, really. I just I wonder if you could take us through uh, how you followed that. Well, yeah, then, I, then I'd love to, of course, I read a lot what you guys did, but I'd love to hear it again and have it had a chance to kind of sink in. But I I can tell you that, you know, um, um, to, 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 to me, the most poignant thing was uh, seeing uh, Norma and Clark up on the stage holding their dad's trophy. I just, 
I just thought that was like a surreal moment. And people that had went to two of you that know them, know the history of what Lamar had done and the Hunt family for the NFL. And Norma had been to every single Super Bowl played, which is just remarkable. And truly one of the few people on earth that can say that. I just saw that a writer from New York, and his name escapes my mind now, and maybe I'll remember it. Um, he had gone to everyone, and this was the first one he did not attend. So Norma Hunt is in a very exclusive category of having gone to every single Super Bowl. But for her to hold that trophy and not to give it to somebody else or be the representing the Hunt family, I thought was incredible. And then, you know, after the way it ended last year with Brady and Belichick and the Patriot overtime win and being so close and then having, you know, the same game, different opponent, and and then, as it turned out, being down again by double digits and coming back and winning, and just seeing the reaction of the crowd, mainly when I left, but certainly from our broadcast position way up in the press box where the three of us are for games, just seeing people just like, I, I, I just think it, it took a while to sink in and hugging, you know, uh, season ticket holders next to them and old and young and man and wife and I mean and everything in between it was just kind of it was just it was just like that was almost more compelling than seeing the players get up there you see the players get up they all kind of say the same stuff but but those two moments you know and then again in the Super Bowl they're down by double digits again and they come back and win which is just so so incredible and um but but Blair what'd you think I mean like you've been around as long as I have and by you too I as, as things have, as you processed over these last month or whatever it's been since that date in Miami, what that run in in January? What have, we, what have you guys thought? Well, one thing I'll quick interject because I don't want to forget it is uh, I've thought that I don't know how you came up with that four tops line uh, for the Rose Bowl right parade formation. <laughs> that was one of my highlights in listening back to the game. You had to be a man of a certain age, I believe, to... Uh... Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. That's exactly right. <laughs> but Blair, what were you going to say? Oh, you know, I guess I felt uh, somewhat similar to five years ago when the Royals won. And what a with the Royals and, and now with the Chiefs, I, I found myself coming to appreciate the championships of of franchises that have had long suffering fans and not just, you know, not just here, but it was, it was actually the Royals that got me thinking about, well, how great is it now that the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and this, the Washington Caps and the St. Louis Blues and the Philadelphia Eagles all got to share their, their uh, championship with fans who haven't had a parade or, you know, been able to celebrate in, in a way that the Royals did, you know, five years ago. And I felt that way about Chiefs fans, too. I Look, the 49ers were a, a terrific team and a, a total worthy opponent. But San Francisco doesn't need another parade. I mean, they've, they've, they've had a few. You know, after Boston, I can't think of a city that's had more in the last decade, right? And, uh, or at least 15, 20 years. And, uh, and I, I just I felt so good for Chiefs fans and... And we're talking about fans you count in generations. And, you know, it was my grandfather's team and my father's team, and now it's my team. And that's, 
that's what I that's what I have come to really like about uh, these these championships from from uh, you know from, from teams that haven't won one in a while, and yet now we're talking about well, how many can they win? You know, with <laughs> with this quarterback and this coach, and and uh, and and maybe. And maybe it'll be a while for the the Chargers and the Bills and some of the other long-suffering franchises to uh, to get there. And Kevin, I'll just say, I, I uh, one of the the joys of our job, I think, is when you do feel like you're somehow enmeshed or connected with the city when these things go go on. I, I it's just you feel like you get to be a conduit, and so maybe you get to feel it that way. And certainly, you know what your neighbors are feeling and your and your friends and and. Uh, you know, Blair and I have talked about this before, but I can't think of a place that had been longer suffering in multiple ways in terms of sports than Kansas City in the in the early 2010s. I mean, I think as of 2013, I think this is right. The Chiefs had not won a playoff game in 20 years, 20 almost 20 years, and the Royals hadn't so much as been in the postseason in 28 years. That's a pretty that's a pretty uh, tough combo, and I. I guess there must be other cities that have had that one-two punch, but not many cities that just have the two major majors among the four. Um, so I think it's been pretty uplifting time. And I think if you count Sporting's championship, I saw the stats somewhere. I haven't independently verified. Maybe maybe Blair knows, but maybe no city has had championships in three of the five major leagues in, in, the last, in that time frame other than Kansas City. So that's... City of Champions. Well, it sure is. It sure is fun for the three of us to to be able to chronicle whatever parts we chronicle, and and you guys are covering multiple sports, and you get a chance to be around the way you know teams operate, and you get to know people, and friendships do happen, and and that's kind of part of the that's kind of the nice part of our job, and. There are other parts that aren't so nice, and that's reporting on teams that lose. It's hard to. We love the job. I mean, we love the business, and that's why you're in it. You're not in the business to cover champions. You're in the business because, you, first and foremost, we love the business. But if you can have an event that makes it special, if you can have an, a something that gives it definition, that, you know... Like, I think of Joe McGuff, and I think about, you know, him covering Hank Stram, the Joe McGuff, the, the very famous Kansas City Star, sports editor and columnist for so many years, and, and uh, you know, who, who got to cover Stram and Lenny and, and the Chiefs back then. And, and I remember when uh, you know, I was getting out of college at KU in the early 80s, having Joe McGuff on our Chiefs pregame show, talking about, you know, what was it like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, covering that team. And and he would talk about these things, and it was so foreign to us at that time because the Chiefs in the 80s, as we know, were not very good. End of the 70s and the 80s, they were not a good team. had, had a hard time drawing. And, and you know, for, for but, but, you're, but you're not, we're not in it for that. But I was thinking that I'm sure Joe McGuff appreciated the fact that that he was there to, to be the hometown writer for a Super Bowl champion. And, and just like, like the two of you would say, yeah, it was fun to cover a, a team that won a Super Bowl. Because when you win, there's so many things that have got to fall right. There's so many little stories along the way 
that make the big story. And, and you know, a, a free agent decision, an injury that had to be filled, a, 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 a certain play in a game that was pivotal at that time of the year. And, 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 and writers know that better than anybody because you cover every snap and practice and game of that team, which begins in the summer and ends who knows when in the winter. So, so to be a part of something that does work, eventually does reach its destination, is, is really a neat thing to say that you've covered. Not a lot of people can say they've covered a Super Bowl champion or a World Series champion. And the two of you can, and, and, and I'm lucky enough from afar to do, I did the Eagles a couple of years ago, did all the Patriot Super Bowls, or a lot of them over here the last couple of years, the Giants Super Bowls, they won there with Coughlin. And, and you know, so I mean, I, I, I've had a chance, but, but it, it, I would tell you it is a little different to, to cover, you know, a team that you once did and see them finally after 50 years, not only make it to that game, but win it. And while I wasn't there for every snap and every play of the season, the great thing about when you're a writer doing it and in the newspaper business, pub, you know, and, and putting out publications daily is that you are a part of that story and you can't help but feel connected to it in some way. And I, I think that, well, all three of us, but you two in particular, will look back in your careers and say, wasn't it great that I got to be witness to a World Series champion, two straight World Series and a, and a, and a champion in one of them? And then, and then be a part of this historic Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl. I mean, that, a lot of guys go and, and they like players. They never win a championship. They never, never play in a champion. And here you guys have covered a couple here in, in the last five, six years. And how special is that? I mean, for your career, that's, you're not, we're not in it for that, like I began saying, but it, it sure makes it more interesting and, and it, it can't help but make it more fulfilling. It can't help it. Well, luckily, we, uh, I'll speak for myself here. Luckily, I enjoy being around Blair, so we, we've got that going for us, too. So we, we've got that. But, well, I know we should uh, let, you, let you get going, but I guess the, the question is, um, what are you going to do? I, I, we know some of it with uh, the garage waiting, and, and uh, luckily you've got your family there. But just in the kind of more cosmic sense, uh, how, do you, how do you feel like you're going to go into these next few weeks? Just your, your own state of mind, Kevin. Well, I, you know, I, I, I guess I can't, like, if I knew the season were over, you know, then I could really let my, my mind go to mush because then I know that my next broadcast wouldn't be until August when I do the, the Packers preseason. But with the looming NBA, you know, you, you were just talking a minute ago about, you know, uh, indefinite suspension or the league NBA put a 30... 30 day suspension which I think is going to come and go and they're going to extend it obviously but I think that I've got to kind of I can't let my guard go down too much because I may be back in back in the saddle again here in the next you know month or month and a half what has always happened when this if, if, if the seasons were finished is I'll go into the studio for a handful of weeks and start recording the NBA uh, video the 2K NBA this year the NBA 2K21, and um, and that takes uh, you know uh, many weeks, many hours, and, and 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 that that will consume my you know non-official on the clock work time. But until then, I'm just going to enjoy the kids being home and know this is a special time that that uh, we have together as a family, and 
kind of gives, I think, a little perspective to all of us, and I think a little perspective is good from time to time, especially for the kids that we have, their ages, you know, 30 and under, and, you know, just kind of beginning this chapter of their lives and, you know, kind of hearing what they think about, you know, what it's like to have things taken away because a lot of these kids their age had not had things taken away. They were too young to remember 9-11. They weren't phased by the meltdown of 08. And so now they've got this to face, and this is affecting everybody in the country, in the world. And, and, and so this is an interesting time to see how they're kind of processing all this. And it's unique as a parent, I think, to be around that and, and to kind of help, help them, uh, you know, with thoughts and ideas and help them kind of navigate this. And then that's, uh, parenting never ends, right? What do they say? The moment your wife becomes pregnant, from that day on, you'll think of that child every day of their lives. And, and, and that's kind of how it is. You just you, your, your mind never wavers from them and what they're going through and how they're how they're looking at the world. Kevin, I I do promise to let you go. But when you mentioned nine one one, it made me realize something we chatted about briefly before. I, that was maybe the last time you know work came off your your table. Um, it you know in, in a, obviously in the trauma and emergency of the situation. But I guess there's a difference obviously many differences between that and, and, and that time and this. And part of this, of course, is the, the vagueness itself. I wonder if um, it, when you compare the thoughts in your mind, how that, how that looks. Well, and, and then, you know, the NFL canceled. It was early in the season. The NFL had canceled uh, those, those, that weekend's games. And then they played the following weekend. That was a weekend, as I know Chiefs fans remember, when the Giants came here to play Kansas City. And, of course, the, the destruction, the death, uh, the tragedy that happened in their town. So Kansas City had a kind of a unique relationship uh, with that first NFL Sunday because the Giants were in town. We, our assignment that day was in Dallas. We, we had the Cowboys in Dallas. And I remember they made every broadcaster uh, have to get on the PA system and read some lines leading into the pregame ceremonies, uh, flyovers and uh, you know pageantry on the field, moments of silence. That for whatever reason, they had the network play-by-play guys read a lot of these intros and outros to that day. And I can remember looking at the sheet when I got to Dallas on that Friday afternoon. My wife came with me. And, um, and looking at all the different things that I had to do, and I was almost more concerned about that and hoping that I had the right tone in my voice because it was not only heard in the stadium, this is at the old Cowboys Stadium um, in Irving, but, but also, you know, we had a big audience. So, so it, was, it, was, it, was a very, um, it was a very different time. There, there was, I, I do, I, it was, it, there was no fanfare, um, I mean, you, you covered events that weekend and that week leading up to it, I know. and But it's it just, yeah, very, very different feeling. Different than this. I, not that there wouldn't, you know, I mean, there, there, was, there, there was a sense of so much unknown because all the things we know now, we didn't know, you know, a week or 10 days or two weeks after it had happened. We had an inkling what was going on. We knew that there was this plot. We knew... That, but but with the depth and the names and the faces and I don't think all that yet had been as known as we've known you know these 19 years later but 
this is a different kind of enemy, as our president has said, and others have said, and uh, you know, in different parts of government, this is the unseen enemy that 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 we don't know how to combat. We're we're dealing with it with the brightest minds in the country and in the world, and we're all kind of as a globe all together. Whereas then it was just kind of the United States had been attacked and and it had a different feel to it. So eerie, surreal. Um, uh, but you know, part of part of life, and who knows what our what our parents and their parents and their parents' parents had felt um, with the world wars and all that, and the atom bomb and the Cuban Missile Crisis, so many benchmark moments in the history of this country. But certainly, the same feeling that we're having right now in this country about the unknown and what it's going to bring. Well, we cannot thank you enough for making this time and and. Uh... I think anybody who gets to listen to this or we get to relay uh, this uh, to through through writing about it will be uh, uh, have their thoughts provoked and and also be uh, be uh, have their days uh, get a little more light in them. Uh, it, it just can't thank you enough for making this time, Kevin. Yeah. Listen, I, I thank you for asking me, uh, Blair. And I, I've, I've uh, loved your work over the years, and I, I go back to something I said earlier on. But the work that newspapers, magazines, publications do will always be the backbone of all of media. And you may hear a voice and see a face and, and hear a voice on TV, but but know that, that uh, 90% of the work that the stories that we talk about come from, come from the hard work of, of, of journalists that write, report, and, and keep you know, close the, the the very pillars of the, the, this business that we're in, and and it, it, it's a, it's a very unweighted, unbalanced view sometimes in terms of recognition and everything else. But um, uh, there are many that feel like like I do, and that and that being on with two people like yourselves that represent the best of this business is it's an honor for me to be on, and I. I have so much respect for how hard both of you work and your colleagues work. And 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 what I hope is, I said this to Valle Blair. I said, I said I hope we can get a, a monthly, a monthly lunch together, uh, the three of us, and we can bring other people along. But, may, but maybe we'll just put the microphone in the middle. We'll just kind of do a, we'll kind of just do a, a, a quick update. But but I'll be asking the questions then. And, <laughs> And, and, and I'll be eating while you answer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, hey, that sounds great. Here, here, here's hoping to uh, uh, t- to that that kind of arrangement in a in a in a safe environment. Well, that'll do it for today and this week on Sports Beat KC. This show can't happen without the team of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Thanks to Kevin Harlan for being so generous with his time and to my compadre, Vahe Gregorian. Be sure to read his column on Kevin. We'll be back next week for more episodes of Sports KC. A final word, let's apply a lesson we hear so often from coaches and athletes, at least we do in the, in the sports media world. It translates to roughly control what you can control. In these times that have altered our routines, be kind, be neighborly, help a family member or friend or neighbor who needs it. Another phrase we see on athletes' t-shirts, tough times don't last, tough people do. 
it's a good time to be determined to do what it takes to ride this out. Lastly, hey, we're looking to come up with topics and ideas for future podcasts. Tell me what you'd like to hear. Send me an email at bkirkoff at kcstar.com. That's B, as in Blair, K-E-R-K-H-O-F-F at kcstar.com. Let me know what's on your mind. As always, thanks for listening.